Welcome to the Neville on Fire podcast. Neville Goddard was a 20th century spiritual teacher who offered a profound message. Your creative imagination is the very source of reality. As we learn to use it properly, life becomes intelligible and rewarding. Join your host, Ed, to explore our most valuable asset, the human imagination. This is episode 10, Keeping the Connection. In this episode, we'll first look at a model of the mind, and then we'll go to practicalities with a view to maintaining the connection to the higher. So what does the mind really consist of, and is it possible to make a a comprehensive theoretical model? It's going to be very difficult because there are so many different systems. Somehow, we have to get a hold of some definitions even if it's only on a provisional basis. Why is that necessary? Because if you don't do that, if you don't differentiate different aspects of your mental experience, then you simply run the risk of being a mass of undifferentiated and misunderstood mental experience. You won't be, you'll simply be at the mercy of um, ordinary life, all of its influences. You'll be at the mercy of internal detrimental suggestion. You'll be at the mercy of propaganda, control systems. You have to have some way to clarify your own mental experience and then exercise discrimination and selection. I'm going to describe three aspects of the mind, and in these definitions, I'm going to make sure that each one pertains to something that we experience rather than something that is uh, only theoretical. The first aspect is what we experience naturally, that which we usually take to be ourselves in our habitual waking state, and that can be called the personality. You could also call it false personality uh, or the surface level of our being, as Neville puts it. Now, in in many ways, it's an artificial construct because it consists of overlays of data that we've acquired from childhood through society and all of its various institutions. So while part of it consists in useful, practical learning, a lot of it, um, if it were suddenly flooded with conscious awareness in a given moment, it would, for the most part, just dissolve and fall apart because at the root of it, it's false, simply uh, not substantial. Now, the personality is usually in a passive state. It's sort of the plaything of outer circumstances or a function of its environment, if you want to look at it that way. And uh, so we call it the the subjective mind. It's subject to all these influences. Another important aspect of this personality is that it's fragmented. It has many different uh, sub-identities that come up in different situations. Um, And it's mostly involuntary. Um, It's in a state of hypnotic sleep, and it's not really doesn't have sovereignty. So this aspect of our being is what scientists normally call consciousness, and it's distinctly not consciousness. That's really a misnomer. And you might object and say, well, wait a minute, I'm conscious of um, you know, eating my breakfast and going to work and doing all this stuff. Well, of course that's true. What that means is we have in this uh, normal waking state, we have a certain uh, minimum of awareness of being so that we can say, well, this is our conscious mind. in in so many words. And yet, once we get to the definition of consciousness in its true aspect, then we'll be able to see that our habitual state is not conscious. So let's continue to describe this personality a little bit further. We said that it was fragmented. We have a divided mind, and we can see that when we observe ourselves. We might see um, conflict between what the instincts want versus what the ego wants versus what the intellect wants versus what the spiritual self wants, and so on. So in that sense, it's a picture of fragmentation and conflict 
at the same time, the picture is not all dark because there's a real or genuine aspect to a person's psyche. Is there not? We could call this essence. You can see the essence in children. It's the genuine, completely guileless aspect of our being. Now, what happens is it can gravitate in adult, in adult life towards, let's say, practical life skills. Um, but as a rule, this genuine core called essence, it gets marginalized or buried. And that's because there's very little in our culture or our conventional education to feed it and to, to help it grow. But this real aspect of our being is exactly the one that we're interested in. It's the one that responds to the whole project that we're engaged in in exploring Neville's ideas. The second major aspect of the mind that I want to discuss is the subconscious. Now, this seems to be the aspect that runs all the involuntary functions, records the entire contents of our experience uh, in memory, but it's also a creative workshop. Okay, we learn from Neville that it, it takes desires, the things uh, which we deliberately instruct to the subconscious or the things that we consent to and accept as true, and it works them up into manifest reality. And it's also, um, according to some systems, like a conduit through which we receive the messages from the highest aspect, God himself, through dream images, intuitions, and so on. So both the first aspect that we discussed, that is personality, and the second one, the subconscious, are characterized, if I understand Neville rightly, as the subjective mind. Why are they both called the subjective mind? Because they're both subconscious. They're both susceptible to suggestion, whether that suggestion originates from within or from without. Well, the advice that we took with regard to the subconscious uh, so far in this podcast series is that we want to try to, to develop a, a rapport with the subconscious. We want to notice what it brings up and presents to us and suggesting to us what we need to pay attention to. Secondly, we need to remove it from negative and harmful suggestion, and we need to, to direct it through persuasion and, and positive affirmation. If there was nothing else in this picture of the mind, we would simply then be going around in circles in this vicious cycle with the surface personality pursuing its ordinary life aims while being subject to all the sort of internal harassment and fragmentation that the personality and, and the subconscious consists of. So this is where the third aspect comes in. And this aspect is what we can properly call consciousness. So consciousness, as we're using the term, it has to be learned through direct instruction. That was what episode one was all about. It is wordless. It's a vivid uh, apprehension of everything going on in the mind. So it enables, or it is actually itself, awareness of being. So rather than being a, a compartment or a function of the mind, like speech or a memory or something like that, it's more like a quality that is uh, appealed to and experienced and then brought to bear on our mental activity. So in some, in our model of the mind here, we have personality, which has sort of a functional minimum of awareness, and a genuine core called essence, which is seeking truth. And then the second aspect was the subconscious, which is a continuation of the same mind, but existing sort of below the threshold of awareness, except as we become aware of uh, everything that it tends to sort of throw up to the surface for our uh, for our consideration. And finally, we have the consciousness, which is awareness of being. And this is the magical thing that starts to transform everything in the whole mental economy from that point that we learn it going forward. So at this point, you might ask, well, wait a minute, what about the human imagination? Where does that fit into the mental economy or the mental model? And the answer is that if you remember what we were saying back in episode five with regard to uh, 12 disciplines of mind, 
the imaginative faculty is running amok. It's running on autopilot in our normal state. That is, it doesn't have the benefit of conscious direction. And that's the reason we see a world that is manifesting so many undesirable circumstances and situations. And yet that very same aspect, when brought to conscious use, when deliberately employed to create positive things, then it becomes our most valuable asset. So this picture of the mind that I presented, you can see in your daily activity what the personality consists of, how you are responding to things, and at the same time, how you can invoke consciousness, become self-aware and self-remember. And from that position, you can really start to be effective in understanding and applying Neville's principles of the human imagination. So let's turn our attention now to maintaining our connection to that higher state, to the divine within us. First, relaxation. I can recommend that you try to find a program of progressive relaxation, whether that's in yoga or some other discipline, to make sure that you can invoke that um, and relax yourself physically in, in all various situations. The reason for that is so much unconscious manifestation is bound up with tension in the body. That is, some psychological aspect is expressed through tension in the body that we're not aware of. So if you work from the body uh, relaxing, you can sort of go backwards, as it were, and become more aware and help to um, release and resolve various aspects of tension in the psyche. This leads to the next point, receptivity. There's a strange kind of reversal here, because on one hand, we're trying to influence the subconscious, we're trying to make an affirmation, and yet the whole thing lies in appropriating the state, simply stepping into the state of the thing already fulfilled. So if we're receptive, then we can see this idea of the thing that we want already existing in, in eternity. It already exists in creation. It's simply not manifest because it hasn't been called into the world. So as, we're, as we become receptive and relaxed, then we have much more confidence that the thing that we are focusing on has the property of already existing. Neville makes several references to accepting, to the acceptance of the desired end. And this is so much easier with cultivating a receptivity that is grounded in relaxation. Of course, all of this is carried out in a self-aware state. So you're focusing on the higher, on uh, your faith in the unseen, faith in the creative principle, and thereby removing your faith in human willfulness. The next point is connection. Let this mind be in you. You can check that quote from scripture. The whole idea is sort of a, an on-off situation. It's a, it's a connection that you establish with the higher in a moment's notice. And either the connection is there because you're self-remembering, you're self-aware, and you feel connected with the source, or you're in a state of forgetfulness, and therefore the connection is off. Once that realization occurs and you've established the connection, then it's so much easier to follow Neville's advice and to carry on in a state of confident expectation. The next point is seeing through evil. Well, we've already discussed quite a bit about um, the concept of denial, that is, uh, deliberate conscious denial of something that we might see projected in front of us on the screen of space, some uh, event or occurrence in the world that we don't accept. And so we want to remove our attention from it. Now, in the first instance, this will be kind of a struggle because it's impressing itself upon our consciousness. It's We see it, and so we, through habit, tend to take it as real. And yet, the the more uh, advanced practice in this, as far as I can see, is to 
uh, face the thing, face the evil thing, but from this position of receptivity, from uh, self-remembering and relaxation and so on, we can see through the evil to the spirit back of it. We know that God has created the whole picture. And so if we look at this event or circumstance, we can face it without any fear and just see right through it and then continue in confident expectation that what we truly desire will eventually manifest. So what happens is quite naturally when we get better at invoking uh, self-awareness, self-remembering, relaxation, the subconscious, the pipes up and says, okay, well, what about this? And you find yourself back, as we discussed in episode three, struggling with the vicissitudes, the ups and downs. So in this case, you just have to realize that the project consists of normalizing and neutralizing aspects of the personality through this conscious work on oneself. But here, I want to draw your attention to something we could call extraordinary persistence. You know, persistence in the normal sense is like something gets difficult, the going gets tough, so you put in some extra effort and you get over the hurdle and you're good. Well, in, <laughs> that's not extraordinary persistence. What we need is absolute, extraordinary, extreme, unequivocal, and uncompromising persistence. You just have to keep invoking consciousness, keep focusing on what you do want, remembering that everything is just a state of mind. And if you can escape from a negative state of mind by remembering yourself and focusing on the good, then um, eventually it's going to stick. Eventually you're going to overcome and and win out the battle. Now, on one hand, once you have a victory in, let's say, an extraordinary uh, inrush of conscious experience, you know, it, that'll be unmistakable, or a victory in an extraordinary manifestation, well, this is all good. But if you don't have the other aspect that we've been focusing on in this podcast series, that is an understanding of what you're doing, then you won't make it. It's your understanding that will overcome the fact that you're in a bad state and you need to get out of it. So the extraordinary persistence and your understanding of what you're doing. And those two things together are going to be much more effective than willpower in the normal sense. One aspect of that understanding has to do with what Neville talks about in a lecture on purity of heart. In a previous episode, we were talking about purity and humility and how they're taken in a moral sense. Actually, purity has nothing to do with a moral connotation. In Neville's uh, correct translation and explanation, he says purity has to do with the fact that you understand without any equivocation that it is the human imagination that is the sole cause of reality. Once you have that unshakable understanding, then it's going to be much easier to persist. So we could talk about the tyranny of the false personality, you know, all the conflicts in the personality that we have to somehow rise above. But Neville characterizes the greatest tyranny in the world as the belief in secondary causes. The next point that I want to make has to do with another aspect of receptivity and allowing or relaxation and surrendering. It has to do with the fact that instead of uh, chasing after something the way we normally think of accomplishing something, what we want to do actually is reveal the good that is already there. We want to reveal the state of good health, reveal the desired end. How can we reveal the desired end? The fact is that it's already in eternity. It's already in potential. It's already in creation. Neville explains that by saying that all of creation is complete and rooted in the psyche of man. So we wouldn't be able to even conceive of something to manifest were it not already existing in this other plane. 
Another aspect of maintaining the connection that we're seeking is to use gratitude. Now, that was one of the disciplines that we discussed back in episode five. But what I've discovered is that uh, gratitude or thankfulness in the normal conception is quite far removed from what he's talking about. The author Robert A. Russell said, quote, the highest form of acceptance is thanksgiving. All right, so there we see that gratitude, thanksgiving, is actually a form of acceptance. It's a form of connecting yourself more deeply with the divine, with the conscious source, with God. And that is the great virtue in cultivating gratitude in advance of the thing being delivered or being manifest in your world. You know, the expression of gratitude, thankfulness for something that you have not received yet uh, in some sort of affirmation or deliberate pronunciation in in consciousness, in self-remembering, is a very powerful exercise. The reason I say that is because it gives you an experiential understanding of how the creative principle actually works. This is shown in that story in the Bible where the Roman centurion asked Jesus to cure his servant. And Jesus says, okay, take me to him. And the centurion says, no, no, just say the word and I know that it's done. And Jesus, which as we understand is the human imagination, says, that is real faith. It's not faith in the sense of mere belief. It's faith in the sense of a conviction, a knowledge of how things work. Russell makes a point that's very closely connected with that. He says the problem with most people is that they rely on a belief in God, just a mere belief, as opposed to an experience of God, invoking an experience of God in the moment. Another aspect of maintaining this connection, uh, it comes from a precept in the fourth way where, again, we sort of divorce ourselves from the uh, human willfulness uh, stance and go into more of a state of faith. They say we don't work for results. So there's sort of a curious reversal. We don't work for results. We just do the work with the faith that the results will come. Well, both Neville and the author I quoted a second ago, Robert A. Russell, draw our attention to something in scripture where it says, God already knows what you want before you ask for it. I forget the exact quotation, but I'm sure it's familiar to you. So Russell says, if that's the case, then why are we persisting in trying to make affirmations and convince God of something that we want when he already knows, he already has the knowledge? Taking that psychologically, it does make sense because if we already have awareness in ourselves of what we want, then what are we doing trying to pronounce it, affirm it, assert it, and uh, persuade somebody? We're already persuaded. We already know. I think that is yet another way to strengthen that solid connection that we're seeking, the on position. That is the conscious state in the moment. The trouble is, I think we become almost habituated or even addicted to the idea of struggling against ourselves, of working on ourselves, of trying to uh, realize the negative aspects and uh, dissipate them or neutralize them or something like that. Whereas the whole operation mentally, psychologically, is to simply switch on the light switch. Uh, They say you don't need to shovel the emptiness out of a bathtub before you fill it with the water of truth. You don't need to shovel the darkness out of a room before you switch on the light. So it's not at all necessary to keep focusing in a morbid way on the foibles of the personality, the false personality. We simply focus on rising above and making that connection in self-remembering and faith. Looking back over the last 10 episodes, 
We started with a crucial exercise in how to approach awareness of being, consciousness, self-awareness, which is given from an authoritative source. In episode two, we explored the idea that the world, although it appears without, is actually within. Then we dealt with methods and techniques and the difficulties you can encounter with them over the next four episodes. Then in episodes seven, eight, and nine, we looked at Neville's ideas from the point of traditional religion and tried to paint a picture of his worldview. Finally, today, we looked at a refinement of technique and method where we try to establish the connection with the higher source and maintain that connection through all of the ups and downs and difficulties of the way, and yet realizing that in the end, it's really a shift in our understanding that leads us to the necessary discipline as well as surrender and experience of grace to renew and transform our minds. And I really hope you found the information useful. Thank you for listening. Remember to check the show notes and subscribe to the Neville on Fire podcast. 